Welcome to church. Welcome everybody that's online. Uh, grateful for the folks online. I've had numerous interactions, even in the last seven days, for people to say, don't forget about us. We are online, and that's where we need to be, but we love the church. We're part of church, so those of you online, we love you. We're glad you're here. Uh, our series right now is the book of First Peter. So this is the third sermon of the book of First Peter, covering First Peter 3 and 4 today. A word that uh, is a word about suffering in the midst of trials. And some of you are like, okay, Scott, wasn't hoping for that mid-August. I was like hoping like how to stay happy always, you know. Uh, but it's the Bible. And I'm here to teach the Bible today. First Peter chapter 4, reading B, but I'm kind of teaching from chapter threes, 3 and 4. And then Pastor Lydia will close the series next Sunday. Uh, she'll preach about 1 Peter 5 and leadership and humility. Make sure you're here next Sunday. It's going to be epic as she wraps it up. But uh, let me read to you now 1 Peter 4, starting in verse 12 through 19. Peter writes, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice, inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household, and if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it's hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Will you pray with me now? Jesus, we, um, we give you this, this worship service. We give you this church. We give you our lives. God, I give you this message that you would encounter your people today, that you would give us a word of encouragement for those who are truly desperate this morning. Lord, that you would give us a word of sustenance for those who are in places of great joy this morning. But as you bring this old book alive again from 1 Peter, God, make it new in us, your people. We don't just want to think about you. We want to experience you. God, move us, even this morning, closer to your heart. We love you. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Well, our uh, sermon today is called How to Have Hope in Hard Times. How to Have Hope in Hard Times. Peter's going to give a couple really concrete ideas about how to hold hope in hard times, trusting and doing. The message today is about how to hold hope in hard times, trusting and doing. Uh, In 1 Peter Uh, chapter 4, verse 12, I just read to you, Peter writes, and I quote, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you. And I spent the week thinking about this theme of suffering and difficulties that will come our way in the midst of hope. And the idea of a fiery ordeal has a particular meaning for this congregation, now, if you've been with us for some time, it's like, okay, yeah, I know, I know our story. 
but it bears repeating that we have actually lived as a community exactly what Peter is talking about. How to have hope in hard times at a fiery ordeal, it's, we can easily go back to December of last year. This congregation went through a fiery ordeal. We had uh, transformed the Family Fun Center. We were two weeks from opening Christmas Eve services. Dozens and dozens of volunteers had worked hundreds and hundreds of hours. It was truly an ordeal. We had spent so much time. And the building owner had invested hundreds of thousands of dollars repairing some of the electrical systems. Bethany had invested over $100,000, which I'm happy to report was refunded after uh, the fire. But when you think about a fiery ordeal, I mean, it's, it's that. It's December 8th. And the text started, it was a I want to say Wednesday morning, Tuesday, Wednesday morning, and you know, at our house in the morning, kids going every which way, and a little bit of chaos, and then the text started to come. It's got, it's, it's all gone, you know, it's like, what? I don't, you know, hold on, what? You know, I'm trying, just trying to make sense of things. Uh, I'm so sorry, Scott. Hey, did you hear the news? And uh, from one friend who's here this morning, we stood with you in a field, uh, alluding to the time Bethany North had to worship outside because we had no space, we'll stand with you through the fire. Pardon the pun, but First Peter 4, we went through a fiery ordeal. And so today, as Peter seeks to encourage our faith from this old book written 2,000 years ago, we get to think about ordeals. And the testing of our faith and, the, and just the reality that difficulties will come. But how do we hold a theology that our faith can grow? We don't just want to survive hard times. Because some people make it through hard times, but their hope is diminished. They never learn how to take joy again. It's like, oh yeah, because life is all darkness and brokenness. And other people, you know, they, they deal with the pain by moving into some sort of saccharine sweet spirituality that can't actually be with people in the fiery ordeal. So between those two kind of lightning rods, we want to walk a through line this morning that Peter's going to give us as a word of hope. Now, there's a percentage of people this morning that are like, oh good, I'm not doing great. Scott's going to talk about hope in our times. This is like, I'm really glad I came to church today. My hunch is because it's Seattle and August, and many of us are coming to, you know, from camping, heading out on a trip. We've seen family. We've had some adventures. Uh, collectively, I would say maybe as a community, our joy level is higher, but then it's like, but November's coming, the big dark, you know, or uh, maybe today is just a, a gift from the Lord to put something in your faith backpack, that we will struggle, and as a community, especially those trying to impart faith to the next generation, a robust theology that can teach the next generation that faith in God does not equal never suffering, but it also doesn't equal a lack of joy and a lack of hope. And I'm very worried about a Christian church that never teaches lament and suffering or only teaches lament and suffering and misses the goodness of God. That we will suffer, but God is good. So my hope today is to spend some time looking at hope from 1 Peter. And then these kind of like to-dos. I don't want to be overly tasky, but Peter is. He's very action-oriented. 
about holding faith, doing good, as kind of a recipe to how to hold on to our hope when we struggle. And again, as the shepherd here, it's important for me to just remind us that we're not promised a struggle-free life. But that, Peter says, the struggles, the difficulties, the things we make it through can build up our faith, can build up our hope. Our testimonies are forged with the test that we survive. So if we're going to be tested, it's not to just be broken, it's to be filled with God's Spirit. Amen? So that we would be people of great hope. We've been through hard times. We've been through the fire. But who's hungry for more of God's goodness? This is the word that God has for us this morning. So let me just kind of align us to our big idea. We have this slide as well. When, not if you're suffering, when you're suffering, here's Peter say, saying how to hold on to our hope in hard times. We've got to trust God and do good. And I know those are overly simplistic, so just bear with me if you're already starting to be like, don't do it, Scott. Don't make this easy. Don't make my pain small. Don't try to put everything in a small box. But Peter says in the midst of our struggles, we need to trust God we need to do good. So let's start here, kind of our first point, our first point in the outline, that suffering will happen. Peter says that you're going to go through these ordeals. This is part of his letter written in 63, 64 AD. I know we've given background each and every week, but some of you, this is your first Sunday with us in a while. It's great. Peter is written to the church scattered around kind of Asia Minor, think modern day Turkey. The church has gone from a group of 120 when Jesus ascended to heaven over 30 years. It's now tens of thousands of people, multiple house churches, no paid staff, just God going out, them disciples who have been through hard times, but they feel called to go into every part of the world to preach God's good news and life change and the resurrection of the dead. That was the message. This guy, Jesus, was God incarnate. He was put to death. He came alive. Therefore, we believe. And their unity around the person of Christ broke every social class and barrier. They traveled through the Roman Empire. They traveled under, until Nero starts killing Christians in 65 AD, they travel under the coverage of Roman Empire, was fine with Judaism because they had conquered Israel. So Romans thought, these Christians are harmless until Nero starts killing Christians in AD 65. So for 30 years, they have relative affluence. Peter is locked up in Acts 12. We know that from Herod, but pretty much Christians are able to to go around the empire and have house churches, but this is about to change. And when Nero has the great fire in Rome in AD 64, he blames Christians and immediately starts to kill Christians, wrap them in animal skins, rather, feed them to gladiators or other animals, and the church instantly, until Constantine in the AD 320s, goes through several hundred years of great resistance. They still grew, but now they constantly were under fiery ordeal. So when Peter writes this letter, he's preparing them for what he senses from the Holy Spirit is going to be an incredible difficulty. So it's really important that they get this right. You're going to suffer as a Christian. It's going to be really difficult. Now, kind of church history 101, we just have a minute. 
Constantine in, let's think like the year 320, he gets a vision from God to instantly adopt Christianity as the official religion of the empire. So in the year 300, everything changes. And that's like the beginning of the crusades. Crosses go on, like from Pete Christians being killed, all of a sudden crosses go onto the shield. And it's this other huge danger that comes when Christianity gets politicized. But from AD 65 until 320 something, that was the time of great persecution. And so Peter's going to say over and over again, remember in your times of distress, remember you are not alone. So suffering happens, remember. Remember, remember, remember. Look at what uh, Peter says in 1 Peter 3 verse 14, even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for what? The hope you have. So suffering does not equate a lack of hope. Peter's saying, you have hope, you will suffer, have an answer prepared. Continuing on in verse 15, do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. And after being made alive, he went and made proclamation to imprison spirits. Like, goodness gracious, what an amazing verse. We will suffer, but remember that there is joy. And remember that Christ suffered on our behalf to, to bring the unrighteous to the righteous. So when we suffer, we are not alone. And in this regard, suffering can become a transformation. Our pain can become a gateway to more of God in our lives. And everything I'm about to say, if you take it out of context, looks like a really bad Hallmark card. So you've got to just stay with me. Because if I'm going to make a blanket statement, like pain can be a gateway towards transformation. You're like, ugh, that's a hard one. But the Bible says, be prepared to suffer and believe that you are not alone. And in your hope, point to the Lord. So these are anchor verses for us that when struggles come, we open up First Peter and we remind ourselves, oh yeah, things get hard. Oh yeah, difficulties come in my relationships, in my school, in my mental health, in my job. Like this is, what Peter's warning is a bit of a normal stasis. And the church inadvertently did something kind of harming in, in certain eras where we preached a prosperity gospel and we didn't prepare people for how to have hope in difficult times. Or the pendulum swings, and it's all brokenness, all pain, where's the hope, toxic positivity, don't give it to me, I just want to feel, like, no, those are two different poles. Peter's preaching us right down the middle. To suffer, our hope is not in easy journeys, but is in the presence of God. And in this regard, remember Peter's writing to slaves and free women and men, like scattered churches, he's saying, this is where our unity comes from. It's in the cooperation in the midst of our adversity. 
Our unity doesn't come from the lack of fiery ordeals. Our unity comes from the hope around Christ in the midst of our difficulties. In 1 Peter 3, 8, Peter says, finally, all of you, be like-minded. Be sympathetic. Love others in the church. Be compassionate. Be humble. So Peter's saying, remember, God can hold you closer, especially when you hurt. Incredible quote by Henry Nouwen. I'll read it to you now. We'll have it behind. The dance of life finds its beginnings in grief. It's the way in which pain can be embraced, not out of a desire to suffer, but in the knowledge something new will be born in the pain. Isn't that good? Something new that can be born in the pain. Therefore, as Christians, we can say, there is something in the brokenness that can lead me through my faith in Jesus to more fullness. That is a picture of the cross, that the Romans tried to kill hope, and Jesus redeemed it. We wear, those of us who wear jewelry, we wear a Roman death instrument. What an odd decoration for our chests, because we believe in a God who brings wholeness to broken things, who brings life to dead places, who took a death and a crucifixion and brought new life for all in resurrection. So suffering happens. We've got to deal with it, though. We've got to deal with our pain. We have, a, uh, we have two dogs at our house. That would be its own sermon series, The Son's Dogs. I'm just going to tell you a story. And I want to just kind of tell you the story because oftentimes our wounds can cut us off from our healer. Don't let your woundedness cut you off from the one place that can actually heal your broken heart. So the, our dog, one of our dogs, Bear. Okay? Don't name your dog Bear if you don't want them to act just like a big crazy animal. So a couple weeks ago, I started finding blood through our house. There's like blood spots, and I was kind of confused by this and trying to figure out, was it me? Was it one of the kids? And kind of a process elimination, kind of realized it was, it was bear. He was, he was bleeding, and he's a very hairy bear. <laughs> like He's like a, a golden retriever mix, and so there's lots of hair, and I couldn't see anything on him. And so I get him to sit, and I try to address his pain, and the closer and closer I get to kind of his, his like, you know, like underside of his stomach, he started to growl at me. He started to bare his teeth at me. The closer my hand got to his, what was apparent to me, his pain point, the higher his anger rose. It was actually quite scary for me for a minute. And he's a kind of an aggressive puppy at times. And finally, as I took my time and slowly kind of pet him and then slowly got him onto his back and slowly kind of, you know, moved my hands around. He had about a, no joke, about a four-inch gash up under his, up under his legs where his hair hadn't covered. He had cut himself on chicken wire in our backyard. And the wound was huge had it not been addressed. It took me almost half an hour Till I could soothe him in order to care for him. Because oftentimes, when we get wounded, we get scared. And we get protective. And we are scared to let anybody in. And we start to withdraw. 
And, and he goes from baring his teeth and you know, just freaked out because of his pain level. And when he finally calmed down, and I got him to a place of you know, just being able to address it, and of course took him to a vet later, and they sewed him up and all this and that. But the moment that I want to just hold up to you as an image for you holding his mind from this dog who's kind of baring his teeth at me under such pain, but when I spent time with him and addressed the wound, he went and slowly let me pet him, and then he just laid his head on my lap. He was so grateful to be looked after. So suffering happens, but we've got to pay attention to what hurts. We've got to pay attention to the open wounds. We've got to pay attention to where we're lonely, anxious, afraid, angry. This is literally preaching to the choir here because I'm a doer, so sometimes I'm, I'm distant from my own emotions, what's going on. But as we pay attention to what's going on in our life and invite Jesus into that, remember that we're not alone. We're going to be closer to our healer. So suffering happens. The second thing I want to say here is that uh, we got to learn, Peter says, to trust God. That we can have faith in the midst of pain by trusting God. And I'm going to use kind of three R's, like remember that we will suffer, but we're not alone. The second thing I want to say is, Peter uses this really uh, curious but beautiful language that we should repay evil with good. So remember, repay. Repay evil with good. Look at verse 8. Finally, Peter writes, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate, be humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, Peter writes, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Let's a lot there, but the secret says Peter to a growing faith in the midst of our trials is a commitment, is an intention to continue to grow in faith even while we are hurting, to believe that no matter the storms we face, that we can't repay evil with evil. We won't get closer to the healing we desire by self-medicating or by getting bitter or hard-hearted or repaying the person who does something mean to us or the situation at work. When we get drawn into that, we actually lose, Peter says, our inheritance. We lose our blessing. And instead, he says, be anchored in a God who even when we suffer, we can have hope. Repay evil with good. Who Jesus modeled this, even on the cross, as insults were cursed and thrown at him, he continued to say, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. So we have a model for us that when we struggle, don't move into negative, destructive habits and patterns in order to cope. Trust God in the middle of your difficulties. Another beautiful quote I want to share to you from one of my favorite writers, Madeline Lee Ingalls. She says in her book, Walking in Water, I'll have nothing to do with a God who cares only occasionally. I need a God who is with us always, everywhere, in the deepest depths as well as the highest heights. It is when things go wrong, when good things do not happen, when our prayers seem to have been lost, that God is most present. We do not need the sheltering wings when things go smoothly. We are closest to God in the darkness, stumbling along blindly. So how do we repay the suffering with good? Peter says to continue to have faith in the middle of your difficulties. 
there's an Old Testament verse from the minor prophet Joel that has beautiful, where God says through Joel, I will make up to you the years the locust has eaten. So how do we have faith and repay evil with good? We believe that God can use our present difficulties in order for our faith to grow. That's how we trust God. That's how we have faith and not use difficulties to disengage from our, from our God, from our maker. Romans 12 says it like this, don't repay evil for evil, evil for evil. First Peter says it that way, like I just said, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. So there's just, just this encouragement to have faith. And, and Peter, I believe, understands the difficulty of these words. I do not think that he thinks this is an easy letter going out to the scattered churches heading for persecution. He knows what he's asking of them, what he's saying. Do not repay evil with evil, but repay evil with good. How do you do that? You trust God. You, you commit to having faith even when you hurt. Uh, Heather and I took some of our kids camping over the last couple of days, and Heather's a therapist, so she asked this really great question around the fire one night. What's a defining men, uh, moment for you from high school? There's six high, high schoolers sitting around the fire. What's been a defining moment? And pretty much all of them talked about a difficulty that had given way to a hope, to a learning, to something good. It's the way of life, right? If I sit with you and say, tell me your testimony, most of us tell stories of difficulties, but that God was in. That's how we hold faith. We believe that we're not suffering alone, that God is with us, and we are called to repay evil with good. When Heather and I lost our son Fisher, that song, which I didn't know that Abigail and Ella and the team was gonna lead today, Before the Throne of God Above, was sent to Heather from a kind of an acquaintance, quite frankly. We were in the early days of grief, and someone's like, hey, you gotta listen to this hymn. And it was really hard for me because even though we didn't blame God for the loss of our child, we were heartbroken. So when somebody sent the song, there was a piece of me that's like, don't try to sugarcoat this like we are in our darkest days. But the hymn ended up being a blessing for us, this encouragement to not repay the pain we were struggling with, with more pain, with more bitterness, but to, no matter how difficult, continue to have faith. And even this morning as we sang, those words were so beautiful. And to me, I just felt like the Lord was speaking to me as we worshiped this morning. A word of hope for my son Fisher, who I will meet someday face to face in heaven. My name is graven on his hands, on the Lord's hands. My name is written on his heart. What an incredible image. Our names are graven on the Lord's hands, the Lord who suffered. Our names are written on his heart. The heart of our Lord is so good. And some of us have trouble having faith in storms, especially when people around us are suffering. Like, God, how? That's a notification. We should have shut that off. How in the world do we have faith when we struggle? We repay evil with good. And hold on. And finally, Peter says in verse 19 of chapter 4, there's just this really simplistic words, but I think it's really encouraging for the moment. Peter says to do good. Like what does healthy response in the midst of suffering look like? Peter says do good. And to that, I want to encourage you, rejoice when you can. 
Rejoice as you can. We remember, we repay, we rejoice when we can, as we can, in whatever limited fashion, not in a toxic positivity, but clinging to the hope that we have in Christ. 1 Peter 3, verse 13 to 17, who's going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior may be ashamed of their slander. It is better if it's God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. There's all sorts of warnings in 1 Peter about not drifting into unholiness, not drifting away from the core of Christ as a house of hope for us and believing that God can use difficulties to draw us closer to him. And he just says here, if you do the good thing, if you can rejoice when you can, rejoice as you can. For people that are in the midst of suffering, it's really simple things that we've learned as we've walked with people through great grief and loss, things like, a meal brought from somebody at church, sitting in the back row of a worship service and just hearing other people sing songs to God. A shower or a moment of self-care in the midst of a difficult time. A massage or a chiropractic treatment for a body that's beaten down. These are really simple, practical ways to do good and try to find the joy when I can, try to find the joy as I can. To remember, to repay, to rejoice that life is still good, no matter the fiery ordeals. And by way of illustration, I mean, you know, all of God's favorite people struggled immensely in the scriptures. They really did. They struggled anxiety. They struggled with loneliness. They struggled with being locked up in jail. They struggled with persecution. I mean, think of Joseph who was abandoned by his brother, sold into slavery, was in prison multiple times, framed. He's in a foreign land, and still he had faith. And still he did good. He stayed in position that when the season changed, he didn't lose his witness. He stayed in position of authority. Even when his master's wife tried to seduce him, even when he could have blamed other people, he just stayed in a place where he could receive blessing. And in the end, Joseph said, Genesis 50, what you meant for evil, God has used for good. There's goodness that comes. That though none of us wish struggle, difficulties upon us, it is part of our reality. So we remember we try to, as much as possible, have faith in the midst of difficulties. We repay evil with good. And ultimately, we do good things. We stay in position to stay near the blessing, to stay near Christ. We rejoice when we can. We rejoice as we can. You, my friends, have a testimony. You belong to a church that has gone through a fiery ordeal. Some of you just visiting, we're so glad you're here. Many of the rest of you are like, yeah, this is a home base for us. And it's an imperfect collection of a bunch of sinners in which you are perfectly welcome to be here. And we've been through some, we've been through the fire. Uh, when I think back to December 8th, 
of 2021, we showed up on site. We cried. I cried a lot. Cried and cried and cried. And then we gathered together with the staff or the congregants that happened to stop by. And we prayed. And then we sang the doxology. And we had no language and no understanding. But we said, let's have faith and let's do good. The fires come and God is still good. And I'm telling you, there's not a week that goes by in this community that something that doesn't stop me it happened again just the other night. And they say, what's going on with your building? What's going on after the fire? And I think what they're really saying is, how do you have hope right now? What is your community built on? And I'm quite proud to say we've been through the fire. We're in a building that we didn't really imagine, but God is being praised. The spirit is moving. People are growing. So may you remember, there will be difficult times, but God is still good and can be trusted. Let's have a faith in that, and let's do the good together to experience more of God in this place together. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for this really encouraging message that your presence is real and that the temptation when we struggle is to distance ourselves from you or from your community, but that, God, you're wooing us, you're pulling us near, especially when we suffer, especially when we struggle, especially when our heart is really hurting. And so, God, we just would ask for your presence would be heavy upon those this morning that come in with really hurting hearts. And that for some of the rest of us, God, you would just take this message and just put it into our faith backpack. That as we walk with others who are suffering in the months or years ahead, or as we go through hard times ourselves, that we would be a community of hope based on your great life. People experiencing your goodness, people that can hold faith in the middle of the storm, our God is good, and he can be trusted. God, keep us in such a place where we don't drift out and drift away. Keep us anchored near you. Help us stay in your presence, God, so we don't miss the moment. Or we don't, we don't just, like Joseph, just lose our identity and lose ourselves in self-medicating or in pursuits that are going to destroy your image in us or draw us into places of shame. No, God, keep us anchored in you, our rock and our salvation. Strengthen us, encourage us, build us up of people of joy. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. In just a moment, we're going um, to sing these songs like we do at the end. We call, as we create the liturgy for our worship service, we call this time response. Because you've just heard the word of God. And now we want you to experience what the Spirit of God is saying to you. What is God saying to you even this morning? What did you hear God nudging you? Where is there a person of pain in your life that you need to go after? Where can you be more faithful and doing the good in a struggle that you're facing? We have prayer team members available on the side. I'd love to the prayer team come down now. And if this message meant something to you because of pain or struggle you're going through, or if there's somebody in your life that you just want to pray for right now because they're in the midst of a great storm, we would love to pray with you. These are trained prayer ministers that have been praying actually all week for this moment, this response time. 
So you're invited to come and pray with somebody else. If there's a cousin, a brother, a son, or a daughter, a mother, there's somebody in your life that you want to contend with for, you want them to have a breakthrough with, your, with just God's hope, come and pray with the prayer team. Or just stay open to God now as we sing. God, what do you want to say to me right now? Where does this need to land in my life as I go back to high school in a couple weeks, as I head off to college, as I send a kid to college, as I change jobs, as I change seasons, so much every one of us is going through. What is God saying to us as his people? Will you stand with us as we respond to the Lord together?